Cool. All right. Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is Jay Kaplan, the CEO of Synac. Um, Synac is a digital security company that we actually work with quite a bit of mobile voting. And Jay, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Bradley. Great to be here. So, you know, you guys are a business that, I mean, did, did, could something like Synac even have existed 10 years ago? Did it exist 10 years ago? It existed in a, in a very different way. So if I, if I kind of back up a little bit, um, so my background, Bradley, uh, was formerly a, uh, offensive cyber operator for the national security agency. Um, uh, I was there for about five years before leaving to start Synac in 2013. Um, and if you kind of look at the, what the world looked like from a cybersecurity perspective at that time, um, we're in a very different place. Um, yes, there were tons of cybersecurity companies like there are today. Um, and yes, they were doing a decent job at protecting companies. Um, but in terms of innovation and how they were protecting them, I think, um, very different than where we stand today, where we are now embracing this notion of let's leverage hackers around the world to try to help us defend ourselves, which is largely what the company Synac is based off of. So um, when we started Synac back in 2013, uh, crowdsourcing and security didn't belong in the same sentence. If you, if you went to a chief security officer and said those two words, they looked at you like you were crazy. Um, today, it's actually an industry best practice, and uh, almost every large uh, enterprise and government agency in, in the world is on some track to embracing crowdsourcing in this space, which is unbelievable to think about um, considering where we were just eight years ago. And, and do you feel like there's just been a, a significant technological change in the last eight years, or have kind of the norms around cybersecurity shifted in a way that people understand it better now. And so running a business in that space is, is a little more logical. You know, I think it's a, largely a mentality shift. Um, I think security, you know, five, 10 years ago was something that people didn't like to talk about. Um, if you if you tried to engage a, a, any company and ask them what they were doing from a cybersecurity perspective, they would tell you, uh, we, can't, we can't really talk to you about that. Um, we really only talk to people that are on site, in our offices, in a closed door session um, with very few people on a need to know basis. Um, today, just given where um, cybersecurity is with respect to breaches occurring almost every single day with it being so public, uh, we're now at the point where we have to talk about this. And in order to gain the trust of our constituents, whether that be customers or obviously in the government space, in the government space, the general public, um, you need to instill confidence that you are doing something about protecting their information, um, and that you are making progress towards um, creating a, a world where uh, their information can't just be the next big data breach or compromise. Which it kind of felt like that um, if we back up, you know, five ten years ago, it was like every single day it was a new new breach. Not that things are so much better today, you know, when you see huge breaches like SolarWinds or the latest Microsoft Exchange Zero Day, um, it seems like things are getting worse in some, some, some way, but, um, but I, I do believe things are getting a bit better. So you gave your, you know, some of your background a little earlier, but I, I was curious, like, how do you find your way into a world like this? I mean, were you like one of those kids that was 
you know, taking apart your Apple IIc when you were seven and like where you like to have the first internet account or something like that. Like, how, how did it all happen? Yeah, so I've been really fascinated by cybersecurity and hacking since a very young age. Um, I actually started a, a shared web hosting company when I was about 14 years old. Um, and while I didn't really care so much about getting people's websites online before the days of AWS and um, you know all the other tools you can use to get a website online, what, what interested me the most were kind of the permissioning behind keeping different customers segmented in their own shared space. Um, uh, there were customers who had become compromised and I would try to figure out how that happened. Um, so playing that like defense game for customers was really just fascinating to me. I eventually uh, got introduced to a program run by the, the Department of Defense and National Security Agency uh, where uh, they essentially pay for college and then you go work for them for an equal number of years and that's really how I started my career in cybersecurity. Um, but you know, you can certainly trace back the interest to a pretty young age. And if you guys had to sort of sum up what it is that you guys do, is is it penetration testing? I mean, that's certainly where we've worked with you uh, before. But what do you think are the cores of the business and, and how do they work? Yeah, I think if you take a step back more broadly, um, what we're focused on is helping our customers gain an adversarial perspective on what they look like to an attacker trying to break in. So if I look at myself eight years ago when I was still at NSA, what would be the things that I would take advantage of to, to try to compromise a foreign adversarial network um, for intelligence gain? Um, and it's really difficult to do with the incumbent solutions on the market that are very consulting driven, um, very kind of checkbox driven, um, and really weren't giving companies a true sense of their security. Um, what we've done is created a model where we are embracing um, a much larger number of the top hackers in the world and saying, we want you to compete to find every issue or vulnerability in this case that matters to this company. And upon finding something, we're going to pay you for it. And then ultimately we're going to help the, the organization fix it. Um, and so, you know, if, if, if you were to just compare what we do versus the old way of doing things, it's way more continuous. It's way much, way more effective, much more centralized, much more elastic, and way more on demand. And and you know, in cybersecurity, Bradley, it, there's a huge talent crisis that exists today. Over three million open cybersecurity jobs um, exist globally, uh, and there is an incredibly hard time um, organizations are having to to hire talent, the appropriate talent, to help defend themselves. And I think we're solving that in a very creative way, and it's really making a difference. And so why is there this shortage? Because what we teach in school doesn't meet the needs of the current marketplace? Or it, 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 shouldn't, in a world where everyone's always looking to find the new industry, why wouldn't there just be tons of programs right now around cybersecurity? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think things are getting better. Um, rather than there being more generic computer science programs, you're seeing concentrations in computer security and information assurance. Um, but it's still a nascent industry, yet the explosion of the threat over the past 10 to 20 years has far accelerated faster than 
people who want to work in this space. And that's, that's the issue. Um, and if you imagine, you know, 10 years ago, most, most companies didn't have a chief security officer. Uh, maybe the largest banks and largest enterprises started bringing on, you know, someone at the top to focus on it. But that was a very new title. And if you think about the board of directors, they, they, were, they had no idea about you know, cybersecurity. There was zero focus there. Today, every board is trying to bring someone on that has some experience in this space. Um, the chief security officer is reporting out to this chief, the CEO and the board of directors. Um, and this is arguably one of the highest paying jobs um, within a, a large enterprise organization, just given how difficult uh, it is to find someone to, to take on this role that has the right experience. So, uh, you know, I, I like to think that that supply and demand will, you know, even out over time. And, and just given the, the demand, more and more people are getting into this space. And, um, and I think there are now platforms that are enabling people to get involved in cybersecurity at a much younger age. If you even think about just Synac, for example, um, we allow anyone to sign up. Uh, obviously, they have to pass through a, a, an exam process and a background check process. But as long as you're 18 years old, you can sign up and you can start hacking away at some of the largest banks and healthcare companies and government agencies um, to try to help them defend themselves um, and, and shine light on their vulnerabilities. That wasn't possible before. So I think you know, innovative companies, education will, will make this better, uh, but we still have a ways to go before we catch up. So when, when a company hires you guys, is it because they've had some specific type of breach and they're, they're trying to fix it, or are they just kind of saying, hey, we're pretty sure that we're not bulletproof here, but we don't quite know how, why don't we have these guys figure it out? It's more of a proactive approach. So yes, we might be brought in post-breach to make sure that doesn't happen again. But most companies are trying to figure out how do we make sure we don't become a breach in the first place. Um, so we're we're really helping companies understand what are those vulnerabilities that are going to lead to an attacker gaining a foothold inside of a network or stealing sensitive information. Um, and you know, in some so a lot of cases, we are are testing homegrown, custom developed applications um, and configured networks that are very unique to an organization. And so existing tool sets um, that are automated, they, they can't, they just don't do a good job at, at solving this problem for these companies. But there are situations like the latest Microsoft Exchange Zero Day, where organizations are just trying to scramble to figure out what part of their network is actually susceptible to this attack so that, um, someone can't steal their email or, or you know, sensitive information. Uh, so we kind of look at both sides, whether it's custom-developed um, code or it's uh, something created by, you know, a, a large software company like Microsoft. Um, you got you, you to care about both things in order for you to truly defend yourself. And, and so for people listening to this, who are, I, I imagine every single person listening to this now is just thinking about their own organization in whatever sector it's in and wondering whether or not it's, it's efficiently secure. Um, other than hiring you guys, what are the best practices? What, what should people be doing? I mean, there is some basic stuff that is not being done today that you'd be surprised at which just like how commonsensical it sounds, but just things like rotating your passwords or creating a different password on every, 
you know, website and using a password manager, like one password or last pass to, to, um, make sure that the password has enough characters and digits and special characters. Um, that's such basic one-on-one stuff. And my, you know, I really do hope that within the next five years or so where we, we are truly moving away from passwords, but we still are very password centric society and technology relies on it. Um, and so, you know, if one company gets compromised that you are using a, a commonly used password on, that means your entire, every single bank that you, you leverage with that password is, is now compromised. So that's really important. Um, you know, from a, a more enterprise perspective, uh, it's, it's surprising to me how many companies don't actually take advantage of um, more of an adversarial look of their infrastructure, uh, similar to what Synax doing. So whether that's penetration testing and even the more traditional sense or taking advantage of a crowdsource model, um, it surprises me when we walk into the largest companies in the world and they haven't actually done um, an assessment in years. Um, and th- that's, they're just leaving the doors wide open. I mean, they're, they're inviting the hackers into their walls and they're probably, if they're not doing that, then I, I, I would guess that they're, if someone is inside of their network, they're not spotting them at all either. So, um, it's a crazy world we live in. I think we have a, a long way to, to go before most companies catch up with the threat. Um, but you know, again, things are getting better and, but we got to do the basic stuff first before we can even talk about the, you know, defending against state sponsored, sophisticated hackers. Um, uh, because right now we're just leaving the doors wide open for the most basic attacks. So you mentioned, you know, moving away from passwords at some five years or whenever, how would that work? So there are several companies right now that are trying to create uh, methodologies for passwordless authentication. You can do this in a number of ways, obviously leveraging um, like your existing Google account or, you know, Apple, um, y- you know, you log in once and you use that same authenticated token to log into all of your other uh, uh, environments that, that um, you would traditionally need a password for. That's one way. Another is using biometrics, um, whether that's on a device or built into your computer. That, that certainly, uh, we're, we're starting to see that take off. Um, that's a little bit of a scary proposition because of biometric, in biometrics, if your thumbprint or iris scan, that gets compromised, then there's no, really way, there's no way to change it. So, so I think we're, we're treading lightly on that front. Um, but, but there's some really innovative companies that are, are, are trying to tackle this problem. Even Microsoft right now has an initiative to get rid, rid of passwords in the next five to 10 years. And obviously Microsoft's a company that relies on passwords very heavily across their entire software suite. So, you know, we're making progress. It's going to take us some time, but uh, there's some very innovative work in this space that, uh, that's just starting to gain, gain some ground right now. And then, you know, you talked about kind of catching up and getting the basics. I mean, is there a point where all of a sudden um, it, it does become frustrating to all but the most sophisticated hackers? Or is it just whack-a-mole where, you know, you try to patch up all the basic flaws and then people who are exploiting that just then exploit something different? Yeah. So, I mean, I think a couple of things. So, one, 
I think that certainly highlights the fact that you need a continuous security strategy and you can't just play the game of once a year, we're going to go assess our vulnerabilities. We're going to go patch those issues and then we'll take a fresh look at it next year um, because you're exactly right. I mean, it, it is a whack-a-mole game. And as soon as you patch that vulnerability, if there's something else out there, um, you're bound to get compromised through a different attack vector. Um, with that said, you know, I think we are outside of just the continuous element, we're making progress um, with diversifying uh, the types of solutions that we're employing to not only um, make sure that we're, we're plugging the holes, um, but that we're also figuring out if someone is to breach our network, which you know, it's in a lot of cases, it's not just a matter of what if it's a matter of when um, we're able to spot those attacks and we're able to um, contain them. And I think that's a big issue today. I don't think there's proper net network segmentation in the vast majority of companies, uh, which means that once you are gain a foothold inside of a network, you can then swim laterally to every device on that network and steal pretty much all the information that you want. That's a huge problem. So if, if networks are configured properly, you shouldn't be able to do anything once you get inside. Um, and, and so, you know, I think you have to look at it from a lot of different perspectives and employ a lot of different tools. And I think that's one of the big challenges, Bradley. There's so many disparate solutions that deal with cybersecurity. It's hard to wrap your head around, you know, what to prioritize first um, because, Again, there's thousands of security companies that are trying to sell chief security officers their solutions, and, um, and you don't know which of the solutions are good and which you should be focused on. And so, you know, if you walk the halls of any cybersecurity conference, you're you're just inundated with people talking to you about why you should buy their product. And I think that's that's a big problem. Yeah. So how do you? I mean, would you fix it by having like I'm making up some different ideas here, but like. An FDA for cybersecurity where you kind of have to get go through a process and therefore you're validated? Or is it that the biggest companies should develop some very clear standards that hold to just kind of bring everyone along with it? Um, you know, how should it be fixed? I'm a big fan of standards. I, I think that there really is no cybersecurity playbook today that, that says, you know, th this is the best way to defend yourself. Um, and these are the best tools to do it. I don't think that the government is adequately equipped to assess every single company. Um, they can't even really uh, defend themselves, right? So how are they supposed to just start defending corporations? Um, you know, they've they've tried this on the critical infrastructure front by offering free scanning services um, to government agencies and 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 companies deemed critical. The problem there, it's giving the it's giving these organizations kind of a false sense of security because it's so rudimentary, um, and they're not thinking then on their own. So I think it, it almost does more harm than good having the government step in and kind of take over what the cybersecurity strategy should be. However, setting best practices and standards is a really good thing. I think ultimately there needs to be very strong public-private partnership to define not only what standards should be, but what are the right tools to employ and how to distill down the noise from all of the disparate solutions that are out there trying to sell into these organizations. That's a huge problem. And, you know, obviously there are analyst organizations like Gardner and, and that are trying to help with this cybersecurity is taking off um, because this is a big problem um but but i really do feel like right now it's just way too noisy out there um and we, we got to do something to help these companies just 
figure out like what what is the right strategy so the the election was actually only like four months ago or so although it feels like an eternity because so much has happened since then um how do you think the 2020 election went from a cybersecurity standpoint and, and what was your involvement in it um i actually you know think that it was a phenomenal success from a cybersecurity standpoint, considering there was no major data breach from a pure technical perspective. Um, you know, you can argue all you want about the merits of you know the incumbent administration, and um, but I don't I don't know how many of us believe that that stuff. But um, you know, from a, a pure cyber standpoint. It was incredible to see how fast the states and local governments spun up tabletop exercises, spun up, you know, uh, got support from the federal government and funding to help defend themselves, um, you know, replaced some of the hardware solutions that they were leveraging that was vulnerable and outdated. Um, but with all of that said, it also shocks me that there wasn't a larger incident because, frankly, even though we are more prepared than we ever have been, we, it, it wasn't enough. And, you know, SYNAC did play a role in this last election by helping state and local governments perform um, security assessments on some of their voter registration systems and some of the voting systems that were in place. However, just given how decentralized voting is, it's hard. And, you know, if you think about who like the technical expertise of the people who are actually sitting at these um, uh, at these polling locations, I mean, anything can happen, right? Um, it's and so <laughs> you know, and I and I think that's a big reason why I'm such a proponent of these um, uh, mobile voting and online voting initiatives because it finally does kind of centralize things and it gets these people who really are not technical and should have no business, you know, focusing on cybersecurity. It gets them out of that and 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 it, and it makes it just voting way more accessible to the general public and puts the onus, the cybersecurity onus on people who actually know what they're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, because so you and I have been working together and our, our companies and firms and all that on, on mobile voting. And I think one of the reasons that we've enjoyed working with you guys so much is everyone tends to frame it as an access versus security argument. And you're the only people that I've met that actually puts them together and says greater access therefore ultimately requires and leads to better security. Um, it, why is everyone else thinking about it the wrong way? Yeah, I think the, that our sentiment is not particularly popular in the cybersecurity space. <laughs> um, I remember I, I sat at a conference, a DEF CON security conference, one of the largest uh, security conferences in the world in Las Vegas a couple years ago. And uh, it, was, uh, it was about not mobile voting specifically, but just the state of cybersecurity and, and voting. Um, and I, I, I went on stage and said, uh, you know, I believe that in, in, you know, in just five, 10, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that, um, we're all going to be voting online. And, and everyone in the room, you can hear the gasps. <gasps> I, like, I can't believe you just said that. Someone in the cybersecurity industry just said we're going to be voting online. Like, that's just a crazy proposition. And the amount of tweets that I got after that um, conference, you know, just telling me how, how stupid I was, was it was it was pretty funny. But but I really do believe it. You know, do I think that we are in a, a place today where where we can just go 
uh, you know, spin up some websites and have people vote? Absolutely not. There are a lot of things we have to still figure out. And I think, you know, there are so many, um, there are a number of initiatives, I shouldn't say so many, um, where there are companies that are really trying to solve this problem, building cybersecurity from the ground up and partnering with organizations like yours and, um, and ours to, to, to help think about security as kind of just like foundational um, not as an afterthought, which I think is paramount to to the success of, of online voting. Um, until we can actually do this successfully, though, we're going to need to change the stigma. We're going to need to get this, the broader cybersecurity community on board, um, get the hacker community on board, and everyone needs to play a role in the defense of these online voting systems if we're going to get it to a place where people start to feel comfortable and confident in using it. Um, now, can we get there? Absolutely. You know, if you if you ask security practitioners 20 years ago, if we would be transacting online through bank accounts and we'd be buying things online with our credit cards and we'd be signing documents online, they probably would have said the same thing. You guys are that's that's nuts. Like that, there, there's no way we we can do that securely. Um, but now that is part of society today, and I think that will be mobile voting will be commonplace. It might take us some time. I don't know what the timeline is. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Bradley, but I, I hope we can get there. Fast. I mean, my, look, my, I've said publicly, although I say shit publicly all the time that ends up not being accurate. So I don't think anyone's holding me to it. Um, that my goal is to have us all voting uh, or at least being able to vote online by the 2028 elections. Um, it's a little bit of an arbitrary uh, number, um, but, you know, it, it kind of gets to the, the question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, there's there's this cognitive dissonance uh, on kind of both sides. I, mean, I spoke at a cybersecurity conference at Fordham Law School, maybe sometime before the the pandemic, um, and the same thing. It was like everything that I had said was as if I had like, you know, uh, you told them all that that you know they were about to you know that their children were about to die or something. Like it was like I was the worst person in the world, and, and the argument that I made to them is. You're all sitting here telling me how dangerous my idea is and how you're the only ones protecting it. But what are you protecting? We have a totally dysfunctional, broken democracy um, that can't get anything done, right? We, we, we can't reach solutions on the really big ex existential issues like climate change or healthcare or immigration or guns or whatever it is. So, you know, your beloved paper ballots um, that all they earn us is what we have right now, which doesn't work. And yet at the same time, obviously, what do I know about cybersecurity? Pretty much nothing. And so you've got this huge divide where there are people, some people like me, um, who really want to change the political system. And by the way, a lot of people who are in the system right now who like it the way it is, uh, that would not want to see us succeed. Uh, but yeah, people like me who, who want to change it, because we fundamentally think that the, the path we're going on ultimately leads to the dissolution of the union itself. Um, and then other people who say, in order to protect this union, we can't possibly allow mobile voting and cybersecurity. And so I think you have two different sides with uh, probably everyone trying to, on some level, do the right thing, but having you know completely diametrically opposite views, other than basically you and half a dozen other people that we're working with. So what should we do about it? I really think it goes back to, to, to creating a community um, of people who are not necessarily on the same page with, with the topic. Uh, we got to start there because if they feel like they're part of the process, 
um, like yes, they will they will adamantly say there is no way like we are we can vote online today. But if you say is there a path um, and is, can we get there in however long? If it's you know I don't know if if it's uh, seven years from now, but you know, is there a path? Then, then we can start to have the conversation about okay, what are the what are the building blocks in order to get there? What do we need to solve? And and let's start to make some progress. Um, and like, like if we don't have the support of the cybersecurity community, there's no way we're going to have the confidence from the of the general public and and our politicians in order to 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 make this happen. Um, and so we got to start there, but I, I, I do think, you know, starting with, with, you know, this initiative, um, in, and, and even having them like the more technical cybersecurity folks, the, the, the real like hacker types that we, we leverage globally, have them be part of the process of poking holes in the architecture and poking holes in the technology, like that goes a long way also instilling confidence. Um, so I think just the more and more people that we can embrace, in the cybersecurity community, the better shot we have of starting to gain the confidence that we need. Right. So last question. So for people who are not in your world, when you hear about cybersecurity, and maybe it's just my perception, not reality, but 99% of the time, it's negative. It's doom and gloom. And I think it's in part because in order to get people to take it seriously, you have to really spell out the problem in, in severe ways. Are you a pessimist or an optimist? I mean, do you feel like ultimately... Uh, we will be able to adapt and make the changes we need to make to kind of protect our systems and allow us to keep doing more and more digitally? Or, or do you think that we're just headed towards ruin? I mean, I like to think that I'm, I'm an optimist when, you know, I'm a, a security practitioner that, that runs a cybersecurity firm helping companies. Um, so, look, I, I think we're, we're, we're getting better. Um, if you, it's funny, if you talk to any chief security officer, they will tell you they have the hardest job in any company because there's really never any like success metric. It's only when something goes wrong that they're on the line. No one's ever going to go say, great job. We didn't get breached this year. Like, but as soon as something bad happens, it's like, okay, like you're on the chopping block um, and we, we need to go make a change. So it's hard, right? And, and, and I think that's one of the big challenges. There's, there's no real way to measure success in this industry. There's, you know, we're, we're trying to do it with some quantifiable measurements of attacker resistance, um, but, but it's not perfect. Um, and so we have a long way to go before cybersecurity is not front and center anymore. Um, it's going, and I honestly do believe we need a complete change in kind of the architecture of the internet, the way that we transact online, the way that we authenticate users online. The internet is way too anonymous today um, in order for us to start to feel like cybersecurity is no longer an issue that we need to pay attention to. Until something like that happens, which you know, we're 20 years away from that. Um, this is going to be one of the greatest challenges of our time. Um, there's going to be more and more money being invested into cybersecurity. The cybersecurity companies are going to get larger and larger and larger. And, um, and organizations are going to have to hire teams, the larger organizations are going to have to hire teams to support, you know, defending themselves um, for, for a very long time to come. So, 
not true, not true doom and gloom. I think we're getting better, but um, we have a long way to go. All right, that's a, a reasonable answer, and we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. So, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Thanks so much, Bradley. It was great to be here. Yeah.